Staying sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Two of the world's biggest polluters are in fact making the globe greener. In these images gathered by NASA, you can see an increase in foliage in China and in India. The greening effect is mainly due to ambitious tree planting in China and intensive farming in both countries. You know, a debate is a very carefully orchestrated thing. I go on Tucker Carlson, uh, I go on uh, uh, Fox and Friends. It can get uncomfortable because, as they say, you don't need to persuade your friends, you need to persuade people who disagree with you. So I, I would have made a different decision. I think it's important to get all the evidence before we make a decision. The president's obviously said he would be very disappointed if that's the direction North Korea were going in, but I don't want to get out in front of the facts we actually know at this point. And now, Stacy Washington. Welcome to the program. <laughs> it's, it's Monday. So we survived. Did you spring forward? I, I, I can't say I sprang forward. I more like lurched forward um, against my will, kicking and screaming. Although I do enjoy the part of the year where it's sunny later into the evening, um, much more than when it gets dark at four o'clock. I, I, I honestly do enjoy that, that portion of the year more, um, except for the fact that Christmas is in the other part of the year. So, you know, I guess you take your lumps. Uh, welcome to the program. I'm Stacy Washington, host of Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's good to be with you. I'm I'm suffering through a mild cold. It's like every attack possible. Launch it. Let's get it. Let's get it going over here. Um, but we have a fantastic show planned for you. Regardless of that, we're going to chat with Bert Folsom. He is a distinguished fellow at Hillsdale College, and he has quite a bit to say about bias in U.S. history textbooks. And this connects up to main news stories that are going on right now, like the newest poll results out that show that millennials, 48% of them, would prefer to live in a socialist country. I don't know where they'd get their Starbucks and their lattes from. They wouldn't have iPhones, but I guess they're willing to give all of that up for belonging to the herd and being a part of the pack. So we'll talk to him about that next segment. We want to uh, talk about the Second Amendment update kind of thing with a robbery where they, these two people were meeting up to facilitate the sale of an iPhone. Um, we'll, have, we'll get into the story uh, in the third segment, where, why they were together other than the phone. I think that was just it. Um, and then someone brandishes a fake gun, and you know the rest of the story. Good guy with a gun wins out. So we're going to talk about that in the third segment. We'll take your calls, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. And we're also going to um, listen to a little bit of audio from uh, the smartest man in America, Thomas Sowell. And a little bit more on that whole, uh, you know, some kids, like one of your kids is smarter than your other kid, same two parents, same household, same socioeconomic background. How can we account for this? Um, and in just a minute, in fact, right now, we're going to get into infinite victimhood. Yeah, I said it, infinite victimhood. Now, you know how I feel about the fact that so many of us, if you just walk up or see us passing and you notice that we have a permanent tan, whether you're Hispanic or black or Asian or whatever minority group you might be a part of, um, it's automatically assumed that you're some kind of a victim. Regardless of your circumstances, you could have more money than the person who's observing you. You could have higher social status. You could have a better education. You could have a better job. Uh, you could have you know, a, a family, intact family situation, whatever. 
people just assume up minority group victim. And that drives me crazy because that completely obliterates anything you've done for yourself, any work you've done. The fact that you might be, you know, a Bible believing bedrock Christian, knowing that everything you have comes from God. And so you can never be a victim because he didn't create any victims. He didn't make any victims. When you look back at what God created, their victim is not in there at all. So it was really funny. You know, we love these stories here on the show where you got a hardcore liberal who toes the line and abides by everything that the liberal orthodoxy requires. And if there's anybody who gets that T-shirt and wears the flag uh, and flies it proudly, it's Alyssa Milano. You know, she's so far on the left. She doesn't even she's not even an entertainer anymore. And that's what's so interesting. It seems like she would be in Hollywood pushing for um, equality between producers and, and the people that act in the films and the writing staff and working on creating quality programming that advances whatever her causes are, do it in Hollywood. She's completely left Hollywood. Now she just tweets all the time and shows up at the UN a lot to go against our country. And then anywhere there's a victim, she's right there flying her flag. This story is hilarious. You got Alyssa Milano. She's on Twitter. And she she sends out this tweet about how, well, actually, she's tweeting about transgenders. And as she's tweeting about the transgenders, one of the transgenders, because, you know, they're perpetually offended and always ready to fight, even people on their own side. One of the transgenders says, yeah, but you're not trans. And she says, well, actually, I am. Um, I'm trans. I'm black. I'm gay. I'm straight. I'm she just goes into this big tirade here. I'll read you the exact tweet. She's uh, she says, I'm trans. I'm a person of color. I'm an immigrant. I'm a lesbian. (laughs) I'm a gay man. I am the disabled. Now, aside from the fact that that's crazy talk and she shouldn't be uh, she's trying to identify with these people. But instead, it comes off as her making these pronouncements that we know are demonstrably false. She says, I'm everything, and so are you, Kirk. Don't be afraid of what you don't know or understand. No one wants to hurt you. We're all just looking for our happily ever after. Now, that whole second part of the tweet, we could unpack that, and we could go into it kind of round-robin style. If she believes that about this dude, why doesn't she believe that about me? I'm not out to hurt Alyssa Milano or any trans person or any LGBT person. She only believes this about people who are on her side of the political aisle. So let's make that clear real quick. She says, I'm everything and so are you, Kirk. And the backlash was swift and immediate. People started stomping her into the ground on Twitter because you're not allowed to say the things that she said. She'd stepped outside of her echo chamber. She was saying things that they didn't want to hear. Now, what I want to point out about this is because here's George M. Johnson. He sports the blue check mark. And no offense to that. I do, too. But whatever. He says, no, you're an advocate. Be okay with that. This isn't the way to say you are with us. You can't fake an experience you don't have. You don't navigate any space like these groups. This is the I don't see color approach, which is oppression and erasure. Now, I have to point out here that this is the same group of people who says a grown man with male parts can say one morning, I'm a woman, and he gets to come into the bathroom where me and my daughters are or the locker room where we're changing if we're at a public swimming place or something like that. They believe that guy has the right to say he's something that he's not, but Alyssa Milano can't. And that's where their argument falls apart. If Alyssa Milano cannot say she is a trans person 
or a gay man or a black woman, if she can't say those things, first of all, somebody better tell Rachel Dolezal. Second of all, then how dare they say that a transgendered man, a man who thinks he's a woman one day and thinks he's not the next, or thinks he's a woman every day from here on out, I don't care what the affliction is, he cannot say that if he's not actually a woman, if she can't say that she's a lesbian black woman. Do you see where this is going? They've created such an intricate web of deception around everything that they believe that they can't even keep it straight. These people actually are on Twitter arguing. I think it's still going on. Tons of people supporting trans people, people of color, immigrants, lesbians, gay men, victims, 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 disabled people, victims. is all well and good. Claiming to be them just because you love them is just sort of asinine and perverts the idea of being an ally. An ally. I support disabled people. Doesn't mean I'm disabled. That's Rob Gavagan, another blue check marker. Here's what's interesting about what he just said. Don't transgendered people say, I love other transgender people. I want to be transgendered. Don't kids who are suffering from these explosions of uh, in their friend groups where one says I'm transgendered and they all become transgendered. Aren't they simply trying to fit in with their group? Aren't they simply trying to be something that someone else is that they like and they're not? Isn't this the same situation we see? The, the entire transgender movement is built upon the fact that you can say to yourself, today I feel like X or Y or Z or a giraffe, whatever. I feel like an alien, like the story last week of the people having parts of their body lopped off so they can look more like an alien. Anyone who feels like anything can say they are that thing and they are that thing. And if you dare say no, you're a bigot you're a homophobe, you're a transphobe, anything they can make up to demean your opinion for saying, I just don't believe what you're saying. I believe my lion eyes. And that's where, that's where we have to sit. We have to keep bashing this thing down to the ground because the truth matters. This is an important story because, well, first of all, the whole victimology mantra, it means you have to say to people Here's what's wrong with you. Notice how he says, you're supporting these people. He names them all off. Then he says, claiming to be them just because you love them is just sort of asinine. So her role is that of an ally, and she's not allowed to change her mind. What if Alyssa Milano really did think she was one of those people or wanted to be? Why can't she be since everyone else gets to be what they want except the allies, except Republicans, except anyone who's not in their little particular silo? It just doesn't make any sense. So you go on and it's just more people. Um, this woman works at Southwest, South by Southwest, XXSW, that huge conference that just went on. I'm confident that there are better ways to show solidarity than to claim identities that do not belong to you. I mean, I, that one is so good on its face. I just wish this woman, Blair. So are you saying that it's not okay for a man to claim an identity that doesn't belong to him because a man is a man is a man down to the genetic level? He cannot be a woman. We know that men cannot be women. They can dress up like them. They can uh, have their bodies chemically and physically altered. But at the genetic level, that is still a man. Now, saying that can get you booted off Twitter, booted off of you know all kinds of social media platforms. But this person is saying you that, that she's claiming identities that do not belong to her. But how does she get it to belong to her? I thought all you had to do was just say it. I thought all you had to do was just utter it with your lips and you were that identity. 
It's actually not that woke or empowering, says Beth, another blue check marker, or empowering for others for you to declare yourself a marginalized identity when you aren't. Come on, dude. Well, she just misgendered her. I understand the spirit of this comment, but claiming you are part of a marginalized group that you're not a part of is harmful in so many ways. Aren't women a marginalized group? I'm, I'm not a part of that. I'm a woman. I'm not a part of that. I don't claim that victimology. But according to liberals, women are a marginalized group. Alyssa Milano is a woman. So if she's a woman, she's a part of marginalized groups, and she can claim to be a part of any other marginalized group as long as she claims it publicly and does so in good faith. And that's what she was doing here. She was being a friend. So then it leads into this guy. Um, he uses some profanity. And he also introduces um, <laughs> this new term, LGBTQIA. So he says, this is the kind of bleep that makes straight people think they get to claim the A in LGBTQIA, the A standing for ally. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, we have our little flow chart, and I'll see if I can find it over the break. You, 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 the flow chart where, you know, everything at the bottom says racist, and the only way you're not a racist is, you know, there's, there's only one path to not being a racist, and it's so difficult to get down, you can't get there. And that's what we're seeing here. So, while this is going on, we have this kind of crazy story from the VA, and I see it's 144. I don't think we have time to get to it right now. We only have about a minute left. Um, we'll get to that audio shortly, but I'm pointing this story out and connecting them two together. Fort Wayne uh, Veterans Administration Hospital takes step to ensure that Christianity doesn't receive special treatment. So they're stripping all the symbols out of the chapel because, you know, Islam doesn't have chapels. They have mosques. Other faiths don't have chapels. Christianity has chapels. They have the chapel there and they're doing this, taking the crosses out, taking the Bibles and putting them in storage because people are going there to pray who aren't Christians and they feel like that's not fair to them that the, the Christian chapel has displays that reflect Christianity. So while you have this lunacy, this literal mental, uh, you know, it's like mental gymnastics, mind-bendingly, mind-numbingly stupid things happening over here on Twitter with Alyssa Milano just trying to be a friend to these these you know, victims in real life at Veterans Administration hospitals where people are dying and they need God, they need a savior. They're stripping the very tools and mechanisms by which they can find God, the Bibles, out of the spaces to accommodate snowflakes from other religions. I mean, it just doesn't get much better than that on a Monday, right? We're not going to be back with uh, Bert. Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products. Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use a multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry products were developed by AFA supporters Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a legacy moment. Now, I'll never win an award for patience, but I have learned the hard way that patience and effectiveness are the best of friends. For example, when I was in high school, I struggled with math, primarily because I didn't want to take the time to follow the steps that would lead me to the right answers. It wasn't a problem of ability. It really was a problem of patience. Steps are very important. Some things are too important to be rushed. There's too much at stake. I've seen ministries waste a lot of money. Churches waste a lot of resources. People end up being used because leadership wasn't patient enough and didn't take the time to bring into consideration all that was there on the table, all the issues in front of them. Now, I'm not talking about a lack of courage here, nor am I talking about making excuses for not moving out, but I'm talking about the stewardship responsibility of doing the best we can with what we have for the honor and glory of God. There is some wisdom for us in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. There are two principles that are very obvious in this verse. One is, diligent planning is your friend. It's not unspiritual to plan. Then number two, haste and impatience are your enemy. To rush out there and just do it because you say, I got the right idea, let's go for it, let's get out there, could spell devastation. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. If you have something on your heart to do, take the time to do it well. Haste is the father of failure. Crawford Loritz is senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in suburban Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show. It is Bert Folsom. He's a distinguished fellow at Hillsdale College. Thank you, Bert, for joining us today again on the program. Stacy, it's good to be with you today. So this subject, the textbooks, U.S. history textbooks, it, it's not just U.S. His, history textbooks, but this is super important because a lot of parents, you're paying, you're busy paying tuition, you're busy working, you're busy trying to support your student in whatever way that you can. They're off at college, and you're really, you've carefully chosen this, you know, higher education institution. You've spent the time, you're now spending the money, and to hear that your child is being taught socialism or, or many of these very un-American things, it's just like, what are parents supposed to do? Tell us exactly what the situation is with this U.S. history textbook. Right. It's very bad, Stacey, and the way you framed it, I think, is very accurate because parents have no way of knowing usually what their kids are, uh, what, their, what their children are learning in college, and or in the case, not learning, or what, what false things they're learning. Uh, I teach American history and have taught for years at, at Hillsdale College, and the uh, fortunately, Hillsdale is not caught up in the textbook problem because we use primary source readers. We use uh, where we get the original sources by uh, whether it's John Winthrop or Franklin Roosevelt or Ronald Reagan or who. But uh, the, the typical textbook is a historian's treatment of the past, and the textbooks are notoriously biased, with the exception of Larry Schweikart's Patriot's History of the United States. The textbooks lean far to the left and often are indoctrinating students 
in uh, agnosticism, uh, indoctrinating them in socialism. That's the one that uh, specifically has concerned me with the textbook bias study that I did. So textbook bias study, that indicates that you probably looked at a lot of different books. What, uh, what number of books or what can you tell us about the study that you conducted? Right. I looked at many, many books. Uh, the one I focused on uh, primarily was the best-selling American History College textbook. It's also used heavily in high school classes, especially for advanced placement. And that book is entitled The American Pageant. Uh, the authors are David Kennedy and Elizabeth Cohen. And that textbook has uh, been out for decades, and it uh, has many biases. Uh, for example, one, uh, one to focus on is the rise of the United States to being a world power. Uh, after the Civil War, the United States was a second-rate power. Fifty years later, the United States was a first-rate power. The textbook, uh, the American pageant, says it was primarily due to corruption. Now, I don't know how you get rich by being corrupt. <laughs> but that's sort of the emphasis that they have, instead of emphasizing the entrepreneurs, Stacy, who helped the United States rise to greatness, uh, whether it's uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt, the first American to be worth $100 million and was so successful in railroads and in uh, steamships, or John D. Rockefeller in oil or Andrew Carnegie in steel. Uh, all of these industries, America became supreme. And they did it by having entrepreneurs by uh, producing good products at competitive prices in a free economy. And so those economies abroad that had gone to early versions of socialism fell way behind the United States. The textbook, The American Pageant, fails to mention that, fails to credit the entrepreneurs, and thus is a, a real problem. We have that study, by the way, available at www dot true american history dot us so students can just free uh, look online and see the biases in that textbook if they happen to have it assigned to them by their professors or their high school teachers what would be awesome is if american kids all across the country read read your your website and i'll give it again it's true american history dot net um, if, if or kids all US. across, or, sir, dot us, sorry about that. I wrote that down wrong. Sure. Um, true American history dot us. If, uh, if kids would just start challenging their instructors on that and keep coming back with the truth on it. And that that's what has to happen. In addition to that, parents have to push back parents who are funding these, uh, you know, educations for their kids. You have to reach out to these universities and say, I'm sorry, why are you using this heavily biased textbook? And if they say, well, that's just the one we've always used. Well, that's not the payment I'm making. You know, I'm, I'm not making payments for that. I'm not writing out tuition checks for this kind of uh, indoctrination. And you made a statement, Bert. And if you're just tuning into the show, I'm speaking with Bert Folsom, distinguished fellow Hillsdale College, about his study that he did of higher education in the U.S. history textbook realm, where he found um, he found that that these kids, all, all kids, so it's foreign kids too, it's exchange students, it's students who come from abroad to get a U.S. Uh, education, you know, from our universities. They're all learning that America basically stole everything that we have. And you said you don't get prosperous by being corrupt. Well, that's usually true, except if you're in the realm of politics. And if you look at who's controlled U.S. education, <laughs> right. right, Democrats have gotten wealthy through corruption and graft, theft, lying, 
and hoodwinking the American people. And so it's natural that they would think, because that's how they became successful, that that's how America became successful and want to convince kids that that's what happened as well. And kids who learn that only want to hurt the country that they're living in because they think it's bad, but they're not looking at the fact that most of these kids, they're going to college at a campus that is the envy of every other country on the planet. America is known for having the most beautiful college campuses anywhere in the world. And most of these kids are going, they're receiving money from the government if they're disadvantaged. If they're not disadvantaged, they have scholarship money or their parents are helping them pay. Worst of the worst, they're borrowing every penny of it, but they, that our system enables you to borrow your entire college education and put it on you know, a payment plan for the rest of your life. There's really nothing you can say about the U.S. education system that would cause a student to believe that other than the fact that we've allowed it to become perverted by indoctrination. Well, and uh, Stacey, you put your finger on it. And so many of these, the interesting thing is so many of these colleges, which have gone in a negative direction, a very liberal direction, were started by some of these entrepreneurs. That's the wild thing. Vanderbilt University, started by Cornelius Vanderbilt, has shifted far to the left. One of the tragedies is that the Universities are not operating according to the desires of its founders. They're moving politically in an opposite direction. I'm pleased at Hillsdale College because we take no federal aid. And so Hillsdale has been uh, somewhat exempt from some of those changes. No federal aid. and We've been integrated since our founding in 1844 and also co-educational. We are the second uh, integrated co-educational institution in the country founded in 1844, and have not had the pressures of government aid and government money, where you have to have, where you have to pacify government bureaucrats. And it, it, it's a natural shift to the left. Hillsdale College has never had to do that, so that uh, we are able to give uh, college education of high quality that uh, uh, other institutions simply can't do. Mm, and and I... I echo those sentiments. I think Hillsdale is, it's by far the standard bearer. So I'm in a, a huge book club of women and, and from moms who have adult kids all the way down to moms who have like seven and eight year old kids. And the bulk of us are in that mid range where we have maybe a high schooler or two left. And then we have kids in college and all of us considered Hillsdale. It's one of the, the, the resources I get the Imprimus newsletter. A lot of us uh, refer to Hillsdale College, and a few of the women are graduates, and their parents graduated from Hillsdale. So we we often Hillsdale creeps into the conversation. But Hillsdale, Liberty uh, University, and and also there are others. Yeah. Hard work, you down in the Lake of the Ozarks. Um, oh, that's a wonderful college. Yeah, these are great schools, but we need more of them. But it, in in the absence of more of these schools cropping up. It is incumbent upon parents, whether your kid is borrowing their education or you're paying for it out of, you know, literally writing a check out every month. You have to be aware that this is what's going on. And when your kids start coming home at Thanksgiving and Christmas and spring break and saying things about how horrible America is, it's not that they're talking about this while they're video gaming on the weekend. They're getting this stuff straight from their professor and they're having to be tested on it. It's being drummed into them in these classes. You are, uh, you're completely right. Stacey, you were very involved with your children. I, uh, I I'm, was I'm totally plugged into them. They might want me to unplug a little, but I'm plugged into them. <laughs> <Some> jokers. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm into them. <laughs> Most students say the United States is responsible for many of the world's problems. After World War II, not, not only did the United States uh, make it so we had a free world after World War II, 
But Europe was in a state of such uh, depression, and they'd had famine. They hadn't been able to plant crops. The United States, at our expense, sent food to feed millions of Germans, not not even uh, Englishmen, which we did, and Frenchmen, but those who were on the other side, the Nazis, Germans, citizens there, (laughs) to keep them from starving. We saved millions of lives, and we did it by having to run a deficit to some extent in our federal budget, although we, we made some good decisions. We lowered the tax rates and got the revenue up, so that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But nonetheless, the United States, out of our own generosity, fed the defeated nations of Europe and also Japan, and uh, plus our, friend, our allied nations. I don't know in history of any nation that's ever done that before. Yeah, and and so there that's that's a fantastic story Bert, but there are so many others like that where America yeah. said like the AIDS epidemic in Africa. I I happen to know that president US president after US president has authorized and reauthorized funding to not just to help the people in Africa battle the AIDS epidemic, but to do research there to try to eliminate AIDS as a, you know, as a as a disease. And to figure out the causes for communication. I mean, you're, we're talking about just billions of dollars in research and aid that have come from America. And it wasn't a problem for us at the time. At the time, it was something that was only happening there. When it began to you know, crop up in the United States, we spent even more research dollars on it. Public education campaigns sent scientists there. And part of it is obviously you want to eradicate something before it comes to your shores. It's here now. We have people in America who live with right. AIDS. Many, many, many thousands of people who've died. But it's just over and over again, when we see a problem somewhere, we'll send some of our people over or we'll send money and aid or physical items like you talked about the food. We do that because we want to stop bad things from happening. We want to stop people from dying. That is not what we see from corrupt nations. We don't we don't hear these huge stories about China. They have billion a billion people there. They have really they're very wealthy. They could do humanitarian aid on a scale that would be just outstanding, but they don't. They don't do that at all. They don't do that at all? That's a very good example of the United States activities in trying to halt the AIDS epidemic in Africa and China's refusal to do anything, to even notice. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would be surprised, I'm sure, the Chinese, that you would even make a suggestion that they might do something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because it's antithetical to their government. They're communists, and the people that live there Unlike here, where we're citizens and we can choose to be a citizen or we can renounce our citizenship, which I remember looking this up a few years ago, Bert, and realizing that just under 4,000 people a year, sometimes it's low, it's like 1,700, sometimes it's really high, like a little over 4,000, but about 4,000 people a year, give or take, every year renounce their U.S. citizenship and become citizens of another country. Um, But that's 4,000 out of 325 million. In China citizens that want to even vacation abroad. And if they look like they're too happy about going on vacation, they'll, the, their government will say, if you leave, we'll kill all your family members or your family members are going to the, the worker camp, which means they're going to be killed. Or if you leave and you stay gone too long, they'll, they'll communicate with their citizens. You've been in, say, America too long. If you don't come back, your entire extended family will, will just wipe them off the face of, of the earth. That's right. the Chinese way. So the idea that we're out there doing all these wrong things, it's just not true. You know what we could do, Bert? Because I'm, I'm into being real. 
We have yeah. the military might to take over a whole bunch of other countries if we wanted to. And I've joked around about this. What we should do is a big, huge fixer-upper like on HGTV. We should use our military might to subjugate the entire South American hemisphere. Just take the whole <laughs> thing over. Route out all of the drug dealers and the, the MS-13, all of the gangs. Just eliminate them. Wipe them from the face of the earth. And then re- just redo their governments and create South America, like literally South United States of America. Each one of those countries would be a state break up the states that are too big to be states the countries that are too large to be a viable state break them up install governors and the same system of government that we have give everybody down there a part of the constitution make them american citizens give them passports driver's licenses start american schools down there just take it all over the whole thing would be america and tell the canada people if you want to be americans too you know throw in get rid of trudeau you can be the state of canada and just just be done with all of this garbage with the people trying to come here with the, if it weren't for the United States, I think all of the nations you described and many others would be pure rubble. The United States has been kind of a safety valve for the whole world. People to come here, and I'm talking about legal immigration, mm-hmm. uh, it's been bad with the illegal, but with the legal immigration, and then with the freedom of ideas so that people who come here can then live lives they never could have lived abroad, which is why they want to come here. Uh, we have something to offer. And if they'll come here legally, it would be perfectly proper. But uh, Well, and the ones to, that do to, come here legally send, what, a third of Mexico's GDP is uh, remit- yeah. remittances from America. So even when we're not helping, and we do help right. billions of dollars, even when we're not helping, we're helping because the citizens are like, I got to send, you know, I'm making like the same amount I would make in a whole year. I make here in America in one month. I'm going to send a third of what I make to my family so they can live. So we're supporting them whether we're trying to or not. Right, right. And uh, all we have to do is, is, in the classroom, I think, as far as history goes, is give the example after example of how we establish freedom, uh, that, that, more, that 90% of the founders were Christians, mm. that they were influenced by, by their Christianity in setting up the natural rights that went into the United States. And what happens when this unique experiment comes about? We become a center for the world in innovation, in prosperity, we get migrants, record numbers of migrants from all over, and we produce the standard of living that then ends up being exported to the other nations that you mentioned, uh, who can tap into some of this and learn about it. And then the United States becomes the, the really the center of freedom, uh, the center of prosperity, and giving. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, Bert Folsom, I hear the music, distinguished fellow. Hillsdale College, thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll talk again soon. And thank you for your study. Thank you, Stacey. All right, talk to you again soon. Have a great week. We'll be back with more right after this. Your calls at 866-963-2037. Stay there. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. It was never too late for Hall of Famer and legend John Elway. As a quarterback, Elway holds the record for most fourth quarter comebacks in football history. His most memorable moment came in the 1986 AFC Championship game when he led the Broncos on a comeback drive of 98 yards to take the lead in the final seconds of the game. But after three painful Super Bowl losses, some thought Elway choked in big games. At age 37, he led the Denver Broncos to victory in Super Bowl 32, and again the following year with back-to-back Super Bowl wins. 
With uncommon skill, leadership, and sheer unwillingness to give up, John Elway earned his nickname, the Comeback Kid. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon Book Series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Stephen Black. Because my molester spoke to me while being molested that I had somehow caused this, I had a deep sense of darkness and shame. The thing that I see in others is ministering to them, this deep sense of shame. And that's what brings about healing once that is discovered that their innocence was taken from them. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through the 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Chris Brooks. A lot of parents raised their kids in church and did, in kind of scare quotes, everything right. Mm -hmm. And now they're looking at junior or sis or their son or daughter who's uh, walked away from the faith and said, your God is not my God. And they're wanting to know what do we do to reach them. Tuned in to Equipped, weekday afternoons at 12 Central on Urban Family Talk. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Senate Republicans are chatting about a third nuclear option to accelerate the confirmation of some lower-tier nominations. At issue are the 30 hours of debate available to senators after the Senate halts a filibuster. Republicans hope to trim this time frame to just two hours on many nominations. The Senate lowered the bar to end filibusters on all nominations thanks to two nuclear options, one initiated by Democrats in 2013, the other by Republicans in 2017. What we're discussing now is a precedent change in the Senate, not a rules change. The Senate has 44 standing rules. However, the Book of Precedent is voluminous. It takes 67 votes to end a filibuster on a rules change, but establishing a new precedent requires but a simple majority. Initiating the precedent change requires the Senate to wind its way into a particular parliamentary cul-de-sac. Only then can Senate leaders launch a parliamentary arpeggio to establish a new precedent. Posture requires a failed vote to end debate on a nominee, but that hasn't happened yet this year. And until it does, the very special parliamentary posture from which to launch the nuclear option is unavailable. Chad Pergram, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, this is one of any number of one-factor explanations as to why everyone isn't, doesn't have the same outcome. A uh, hundred years ago, it was genetics. Uh, at other times and places, it was uh, exploitation. But again, these are ideas that sound plausible. But when you do a research, you discover that everywhere you turn, there are a thousand reasons why people don't turn out the same. It goes right down to the family. Uh, in the first uh, chapter of this book, I point out that the firstborn uh, has higher IQs than his, his uh, siblings. And, and, and later life earned, has more achievements. Uh, among astronauts, for example, of the 29 astronauts in the Apollo program that put a man on the moon, 22 were either the firstborn or an only child. Now, if you can't get equality among people born to the same parents and raised under the same roof, why in the world would you think you're going to get it among people who've had such different histories and cultures uh, around the world? So do you hear what he just said? <laughs> He's talking. Thomas Sowell is breaking down the truth of all of this nonsense about outcomes. The fact is we're never going to have equal outcomes. So just be done with the whining about it. Now, 
if someone is looking at their own results, I mean, don't we all do this? You look at something that you're working on and you're like, I'm just not cutting the mustard here or I don't like the results I'm getting. You know, for a lot of us, we look at it and say, yeah, I would be doing a lot better if this, if only blah, blah, blah. And if you say that to yourself, goodness knows I've said it. You got to stop. You got to pump the brakes really hard right there in that moment and stop and say, whoa, I just blame some other entity, person, organization, group, whatever for my own results. What you have to do really, if you, if you really want to know why you're where you are in any area, you have to sit down and pick apart your actions. You have to literally, you might have to sit down and say, what are my habits for this entire day? And every day I do this. Every day I get up and I do this, 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 and this. You write down the habits for the whole day. You might have to track your habits for a week or two weeks. A week is usually enough. You look at it and you, and you examine what you're doing and, and in the area that you're talking about, whether it's work or a project that you're working on or something with your kids, you will see glaring, obvious holes, areas in which you are either doing the wrong thing or you're doing nothing when you should be doing something, and then you can address the issue. And what you will find is very little of your circumstances are directly attributable to some other person unless you're talking about like your spouse um, you know, someone that lives in the house with you, that that person can derail your life. But it, un, in the absence of a person in your life who is, you know, maybe addicted to drugs or, or sick or having something that is just like an upending, never ending saga that you're having to deal with. If you don't have that going on and you're talking about something specific you're working with that's not working the way you want it to. Yes, even your relationship with your kids. Yes, even the way your kids behave. Then you have to break it down. You cannot say this is that person's fault. This is that. You can't say it until you have literally written down every one of your habits, your reactions, really thought it through. Honestly, you don't go numb. You don't go get some ice cream. You know, I'm telling on myself, you don't, you don't go turn the TV on and, and avoid it. You have to sit down and look at it and examine it and say, okay, wow, I didn't know every time my child did this, my reaction was to do that the more effective thing to do would be almost anything else. And, and that's just an example. But in every area of our life, we can, we can take that action. Now, none of us are perfect. None of us are ever going to get through every area of our life and then be done at the end of the week and be like, well, now I'm perfect. Boom. That's not the way this thing works. But you can definitely improve in areas. You can make radical changes in areas, changes you didn't think were possible, changes you currently don't think are possible. But as long as you're blaming the outcome on someone else, you can't change anything. You cannot change anything. If, if the responsibility lies with someone else, you have to go to that person. Just think how silly it would be for you to go to someone else and say, you know, the reason why I'm not getting the promotion I want is because of you. So can you tell me if you're going to stop doing X, Y, and Z? If you're in a dead-end situation, if you're in a work environment where you can't get a promotion because the person that you're working for doesn't like you and, and has told you you're, you're not going to get promoted here. You're going to stick right there. That's an indication that you need to leave that place, that you need to move on. You need to apply. You, you don't quit that minute. You first find your new thing and then submit your resignation and leave on a good note, even with that person that is, you know, the thorn in your side. And you go to the next spot and you start working and putting your best foot forward there. But it's never that the entire situation is wholly and incumbent on someone else unless you're an infant or a small child. But once 
children start getting to the, the age of responsibility where they can make choices for themselves, even in situations where they're not getting an optimal home environment, they can choose to make decisions that impact their lives later on, meaning the responsibility lies with you. It lies, lies with us. Um, so I, I promise we would listen to this. I, I just can't get over the fact that you would have a chapel and not have any Bibles in it. Even if they said, you know what, Muslim people come in here and they want to pray because their family members are, you know, in, in the VA hospital. So let's have, you know, a Quran available, at, you know, on this table. I, I just don't understand why you have to take the Bibles and put them away. Actually, I do. You know why they have to take the Bibles out of the space? Not aside from the fact that they offend people of other faiths. Because the Bible is the only book that when people read it, they're changed because the word of God is true and it is absolutely able to change people's minds about whatever they're practicing. I don't care if you're a Scientologist, you start reading the Bible with any regularity and you're going to come to know a couple of things. You, if you choose to reject God after that, that's on you. It's always on you, but you are not going to read the word of God and not be changed. And that's why these people are, you know, they're dumb. They're, they're, they're idiotic. They're operating on behalf of Satan, but they're putting the Bibles out of reach because God forbid you are in the VA hospital and you're tired of bowing down five times a day for nothing. And you go in the chapel and you pick a Bible up and you read that God sent his son, Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And he is promised all of us healing. God forbid you say, you know what? I just want healing. I'm going to pray over my family member. I'm going to pray the words out of this scripture. And then you begin to believe that. God forbid people go in the, into a chapel, read the word of God and actually start to believe it. That's what this is about. But it's number three. Those who come to the VA Medical Center on Lake Avenue during hours of operation can pop into a chapel for prayer or worship anytime the facility is open. For years, copies of the Bible and other symbols of the Christian faith, such as crosses, were on display in the chapel. Officials with the local VA confirmed within the last week or so those items have been put in storage. Public Affairs Officer Thomas Blackburn released a statement saying, VA chapels are maintained as religiously neutral so that all visitors may seek comfort in the chapel as they see fit. Items that pertain to certain faiths are available during scheduled services. This is standard practice for all VA hospitals. Why Christian symbols were only recently removed is not completely clear, though the Department of Veterans Affairs in the past has given local VA some discretion in this area. We caught up with Pat Frazier at the Waynedale American Legion Post, where a POW MIA display is set up featuring an open Bible. He says veterans coming to the VA want access to something similar. We never know in our time of, of, of need when we're going to need some peace. And my point being, it should be readily available. Uh, it's uh, an expression of the separation between church and state. Muslim believers in some cases hold that religious symbols can distract from prayer or worship, especially when they are from a faith different from their own. And there's this. I think it's more comfortable for, for me to pray in a place where I feel that Who this place is not cares? favoring anyone uh, more Who cares about other. your comfort? The Department of Veterans Affairs is quick to point out religious neutrality is standard procedure in many non-VA facilities now as well. Jeff Newmeyer, ABC 21. So it's a religious facility now. It's not a chapel, although it is a chapel. I mean, don't, don't, don't try me. I know I don't remember everything. My sister is the repository of all knowledge in our family. But I do remember that every place we ever lived when I was growing up on military installations all over the world, every place we ever went to had a 
on base chapel, a post chapel, depending Air Force, Army, whatever. They always had one and it always had Bibles in it. And the Catholics were there for one or one and a half hours every every Sunday. And the Protestants would have a service or two. And they had a space for Jewish people to worship. If you were Jewish and you were on active duty, you had space in that same building. You had a set time every Saturday, Friday night, whatever the, the, the custom was. You're trying to tell me now that it's a religious facility. What is that? What is a religious facility? Miss me with that. People of faith, Christians specifically, need a place with Bibles in it that they can go to and call upon the name of the Lord so that they can have him meet their needs, especially these emotionally charged circumstances where their loved ones are ill and dying. That is the responsibility of the chapel in the facility. I, I just, I cannot right now with these ignorant people and their feelings. Please miss me, Muslim guy, with your need not to see a Bible laying around. If you want to go pray, bring your rug, throw it down in the hallway and do what you got to do, but you don't have the right to dictate what's in the chapel where Christians are supposed to be going. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Let's go to the phones. Michael in Alabama. Hey, Michael, welcome to the program. Hey, Stacy. Hey, um, you know, you really hit something, uh, hit a chord with me on uh, when you were talking about Alyssa Milano no. saying, you know, yeah. she could be gay, she could be lesbian, she could be black. You know, it's really funny to me that that really brings out the hypocrisy of the left. So mm-hmm. get this. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a white man, okay? Okay. So today, I mean, I, I you could be anything. I, yeah, today, <laughs> just a minute. I can say that I'm gay in a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can say pretty much anything, but... Let me open a taco shop. Because I'm white, I can't cook tacos because that's cultural appropriation, isn't it? Oh, I forgot about that. Okay. Well, let's see how we can <laughs> so, make this work it, it, for you. Because, no, Michael, we got to make this work for you. Because I think in among the rules the liberals have laid out, there are some loopholes that we could, we could use to our advantage. So you could be, if you wanted to make the taco shop work for you, you could be trans and you could be also uh, Latino, Lat- Latinx. So you'd be trans Latinx and the trans would trump the uh, cultural appropriation because trans is at the kind of at the top of the heap. So if you said you were trans and opened a taco shop, you'd be fine. Just put a rainbow colored flag in the window and you'd still be able to do that. See, I, all I had to do was call Stacey. And she I'm telling up. you, we can work this out for any person who wants to call in and be someone else. We can figure out a way to make it happen. You just have to adopt an addition. So you need more than one victim group. If you're just doing one, that's not enough. Sometimes you have to like double them up like coupons, you know. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> hey, I got one other, one other thing to say. Um, you know, President Trump, I, I, I voted for President Trump. When I voted for President Trump, I basically signed a contract, a contract that he made with the American people. Mm-hmm. On the, the first item on that list, on that contract, was term limits. You know, I, I really am upset. I, really, I'm upset at him because I signed a contract. He's not holding that end of the bargain. If we had term limits, we, he wouldn't have the problems that he's having right now with Congress because most of them would be gone. That's and true. That's all I got to say, and thank all you right. for your service, girl. Thank you. Thank you for calling in, Michael. I appreciate that. Uh, okay. You know, he makes a good point uh, about the term limits. And I know a lot of freedom advocates will say, well, it's up to the American people to get rid of the, the elected 
ones who have been in office too long. It's as simple as not voting for them again. But Congress has a re-election rate of 82%. So it's not working out that way. And I don't know what the answer is other than public information campaigns. But it's kind of hard to do when the left owns the media and doesn't really give a fair shot to that. It's, it's funny. Uh, Jacob in Alabama. Hey, thanks for calling the show. How you doing, sister? How's everything? <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> All right. Now, that, that last caller, uh, um, I got something for him. Now, I'm going to say this in my... In a, in a New York, Brooklyn kind of way. He okay. needs to have appointative actions. <laughs> what would happen? What would that, what would that make happen? Appointative actions. We, we would allow him to have the tacos there, but he has to have appointative actions. Ah, so, okay. Okay, so if he has affirmative <laughs> action in his hiring policies, he'd be allowed to have the, the taco stand. You know, I knew, I see, person. this audience is smart. If we got together, Jacob, if we got together... We could figure out a way for every American to claim an additional identity or two and get around some of all these barriers that are being erected by leftists where you can't like white women can't wear hoop earrings. But you can if you're a lesbian, you can wear the hoop earrings and culturally appropriate. See, if you just add on a victim status, you can do almost anything. Oh, yeah. it's, it's hilarious because the one thing that um, I'm a missionary as well, but one thing the Lord put on my heart. From, uh, for maybe the last couple of years, do not lose your sense of humor. It's a weapon. It's a two-edged sword. It's what was downloaded to you when you came to the earth. It's called joy. Don't ever <laughs> lose that. We've got to keep you laughing. You always have perspective. Always. I mean, because some of this stuff is so ridiculously funny. Um, it's just uh, crazy. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Jacob. Thank you for calling the show, and thank you for uh, for adding to the laughs. We really need them. Um, I just encourage you, and I know you'll have someone who's totally triggered when you say these things. Um, but you know, go go with go with peace, go with joy, um, smile. And if someone says you're cultural appropriating, say them. I, but today I'm also, and then add on whatever victim status you want, and you'll have the right to do whatever it is that you're doing. You had the right before. You know, you're free to do whatever you want anyway. Um, But if we have to play their game, let's play it and laugh, right? (laughs) If you're leaving us now, God bless you from the heartland. If you're sticking around, onenewsnow.com news information is up next. Keep it here.